Does the world seem as if it is only getting louder? Recent studies have shown that, yes, the noisiness of our world is only increasing. One way that this has been chronicled is, has been through examining or monitoring the volume of sirens on fire trucks. Sirens on fire trucks have to measure at a certain volume in order to be able to pierce through the environmental noise that surrounds them, whether in a city or a town. They have to be able to be heard from a distance away as they barrel towards fires that they must put out. The volume of fire truck sirens was first measured in 1912, and now here, 111 years later, the average fire truck is some 40 times louder than they were over 100 years ago. It's not because fire trucks are just getting louder, but because our world is getting louder. Consider a different kind of noise, informational noise. In 2010, then-CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt, estimated that every two days we create as much information as there was from the dawn of civilization until 2003. And through having the internet right at our fingertips, through having vast swaths of information available in our smartphones, in our pockets, we were able to have access to and replicate and produce more and more and more information. One study has shown that the average American takes in five times more information in a day today than they did in 1986. Yes, our world is getting louder. So in a world full of noise, this makes hearing well all the more important. Notice I said well. We hear things, but do we hear well? Particularly, we must hear Jesus well. What our text puts before us this morning is an exhortation to hear Jesus well and you will find his words sufficient to sustain you. Let me say that again. Hear Jesus well, and you will find his words sufficient to sustain you. I invite you to follow along silently as I read Luke chapter 8, 1 to 21. One way you could say this is don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus as we read his words and as he addresses the importance of hearing well. Beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he, that's, that he there is Jesus, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture." And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. 
As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes it away, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, all fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. May God write the truths of his word upon our hearts. May he give us the grace to hear now as we look closely at his word. So how do we hear Jesus well? Three ways as we make our way through this passage. The first is that we must carefully listen to Jesus. We must carefully listen to Jesus. If you have been journeying with us through the Gospel of Luke, we're in a section of this Gospel that features a combination of Jesus' wonderful miracles as well as penetrating exchanges between Jesus and the various figures that would be responding to His miracles, His teaching, trying to make sense of who He is as He has come on the scene. And so you have various figures that some of whom they trust Jesus, some of whom they worship Jesus, some of whom they adore Jesus, but then some are more skeptical, more noncommittal, more concerned that Jesus is getting some very important things wrong. And so the interesting thing about where we are in the Gospel of Luke, you could go back and read this later on today if you like, just from chapter 7, one chapter prior, where Jesus does miracles and then you see different responses to him from two different figures. And you wonder, how can two people see the same things that Jesus did, hear the same things that he taught, and respond in two very different ways to him? One in faith and belief, and one in unbelief and rejection. You've probably seen this with others in your own life. I have family members who come from the same background, come from the same place, come from the same family, and yet I'm a Christian and they are not. How does that happen? Well, we see this explained, 
We see these varying responses to Jesus explained as we navigate through this passage, and in this we see the necessity of carefully listening to Jesus. So the story resumes with the 12 apostles, as well as some women who had become followers of Jesus, all traveling with him as his preaching ministry expands through various cities and villages. You know, just a side note, if you are listening to this, and you don't consider yourself much of a follower of Jesus, or you don't consider yourself the kind of person that Jesus would say, hey, come and join my team, well, the bar is quite low. One thing that the gospels show us is that we, we, we get a full enough uh, a survey of Jesus and his followers that we see his followers, his disciples, make quite a, bit of, quite, quite a number of mistakes, put their foot in their mouth quite often. And then, the 12, though they aren't listed out at this time, there also are some women who are following Jesus who they are mentioned, and it says that many of them came after he had healed them of, of sicknesses or infirmities. And so, basically, the only thing that you need to become a follower of Jesus is to be aware of your need to become a follower of Jesus. And so this story resumes, they're all following Jesus, and as a crowd gathers, Jesus speaks in a parable to the gathered crowd. Now, you might be familiar with a parable. A parable is a story that is particularly illustrative to communicate a point. But parables are also sometimes intentionally vague in order to obscure their meaning from some listeners. So they're particularly powerful in illustrating a point to those who hear, but they're vague and obscure the meaning to those who don't quite hear, those who in their stubbornness refuse to hear. So Jesus says in verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and were trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So you, can, you get this imagery from an agrarian society of a guy walking out just sowing, throwing seed out, trying to grow seed, and he's throwing it, and it's going to land on all sorts of soils, and the only soil that it's going to grow on is good soil. And this is where noise and its unrelenting nature becomes such a nuisance. Because Jesus, as he says here at the end of it in verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, it's like he's saying to us, listen closely. He or she who has ears to hear, listen. But noise is an enemy of listening, isn't it? Think about your day. Our televisions blare incessantly, screaming outrage. New movies and TV shows compete for our attention. Where the same shows continually play in the background. Year after year, decade after decade, I could recite every moment of every episode of the Andy Griffith Show. Our phones can blow up with text messages, phone calls, emails, new crises or concerns that demand our attention. There's always something that demands feedback, that demands response from us, and we address it, whether a text message or an email. And we feel like, all right, I'm on the ball. And then we, we feel like we plugged a hole, like, like water leaking through a dam. We plugged that hole, but now here comes another. And so we plug that, and we, we feel life is a constant barrage of responding to crises. That is the noise weighing upon us. Our relationships with others can be filled with the noise of devastating pain or the sweet song 
of intoxicating love. Our minds can seem to run on a hyperloop, never slowing down, never pausing, always thinking. Our ears never turn off. So you sit in a worship service where the Word of God is preached, or you open your Bible in the morning as you try to take in God's Word before the day begins, or you try to read your Bible at night before your eyes close, and you know you should pay attention. You want to pay attention, but it's just hard to shut out the noise. Perhaps that's what's going on in your mind right now. Will we be careful to listen to Jesus? Do you recognize the absolute vital necessity of listening well, of listening carefully to Jesus? Perhaps you could pray as you reflect on this sermon later today. God, so much around me seems to demand my focus. Would you help me to focus upon your word? We must listen to Jesus carefully. Perhaps the idea of listen to Jesus carefully sounds quite preposterous because you've never found the Bible or Christianity to be, to be particularly relevant to your life. It just seems so detached from what's important to me, from what demands my attention. May I humbly ask you to listen carefully to this sermon. Consider Jesus' words, reflect upon them, give thought to how they interact with your life, with all that demands your attention. You know, church family, with the Boston Marathon tomorrow, sometimes we treat our Bibles like cups of water at a marathon. We're sprinting full speed. We run right by. We try to grab one, and we try to drink it as, you ever, you see marathon runners as they try to drink the water, about 20% of it gets in their mouth, and about 80% of it gets on them, because they're going, they're going, they're going. They don't have time to stop. We must not be runners going about our day, reaching for the Bible and trying to take in what little we can in just 45 seconds, just five minutes, and thinking it will nourish us. No, we must be careful to see our Bibles like water that we desperately pour into our mouths after a long, hot day outside. Praying, hoping, anticipating that it will nourish our souls as we desperately need. Dear beloved brothers and sisters, the Bible's an infinitely deep pool flowing with living water, revealing the wisdom, the love, the goodness, the holiness, the justice, the glory of God to all who will search its pages. It is the key that can unlock the deepest mysteries of God and make Him beautifully knowable while also unlocking the deepest, while also diagnosing the deepest ills of our own souls. And in it, we find that perfect healing performed by none other than the great physician, Jesus Himself. Have you ever been working at your computer and you've got too many programs going that you just hear your computer start to really like buzz? Like, and it gets really hot. Maybe that's how your mind, maybe that's how your soul feels today. 
And Jesus says, my words are living water. Drink from me and I will turn the temperature down. Let us be careful to listen to Jesus' words. But not only must we listen to him, but we must also devotedly seek to understand Jesus. We must devotedly seek to understand Jesus. We see this in verses 9 to 15. We now get to the heart of the parable that he shared. In verse 9, his disciples ask about the parable. And look at his fascinating response in verse 10. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that, and he quotes, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is interesting language, is it not? What are, what are the secrets of the kingdom of God? Is this some kind of Gnostic secret, higher language for those that have degree, extra degrees behind their name? For those that are extra holy, you get the secrets of the kingdom of God. No, I think it's just clearly understanding the work of Jesus and his power and his importance and his goodness and beauty to your life. It's the difference between those who hear the Bible and hear Jesus, and it sounds just like, uh, what is it, Charlie Brown, uh, the teacher, versus those who hear the Bible and hear Jesus and his words of life. Now look at how verse 10 fits together. You have those who know the secrets of, king, of the kingdom of God, but then you have those who only hear in parables because Jesus, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, when he says, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. In Isaiah 6, there's something that is absolutely 100% certifiably odd that happens. The first part of Isaiah 6 features Isaiah, this prophet, seeing, beholding God's absolute holiness. He's brought into the throne room of God, and all he can do in, in, in response is to see his uncleanness. And he cries out, holy, holy, holy is our God. But then God commissions Isaiah out to be his prophet, taking his message to the people of God who rebelled against God. But then the actual substance of the message, God tells Isaiah, they're not going to understand it. You will proclaim it. You have the responsibility to proclaim it, but they won't get it. And here's the wonder of it. And they won't get it because I will not enable them to get it. That's what Jesus is quoting here. For others, they're in parables. Look at verse 10. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 6. So you have... This principle at play where those who Jesus sets his mercy upon, they hear, they see the, 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 the secrets of the kingdom of God are unlocked for them. Whereas others, they don't grasp it. It sounds pointless. There are mysteries here of the sovereignty of God and his divine initiative in enabling some to hear, some to see, and some not. But the point that we must take, and as we hear this, is we must hear this and not receive it with exhortation to casually listen to Jesus, to disregard Jesus. No, there's this call to devotedly, devotedly seek to understand Jesus. And when you devotedly seek to understand him, you will be revealed to be one of these who are able to hear him. Now let's hear this explanation of his parable. 
And we'll read and consider each point together. So verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Like I said earlier, imagine a farmer casting seed far and wide. Whether it will grow, largely rests on the ground that it falls upon. And so the first type of soil is along a path. You see verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. This is the person who hears, but the Bible simply does not take root. It's as if you gave me grass seed and told me to go plant it, and I decided to go try to plant it right in the middle of Country Way. You're not going to grow a lawn down those two yellow stripes. It takes no root. It does not sink in. This is the person who believes the Bible simply has no significance, no importance. Jesus, his gospel, all of it is no meaning, no consequence for my life. Now, the second type of ground is a rocky soil. It's like a, a, a soil with, with heavy, rich, uh, uh, vast rocks underneath it. So no, no roots can take, no, no roots can, can, can grab hold of the soil and grow. Verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. You could say Jesus is basically saying, this is the person who hears me. They're, they're initially excited about Christianity. It's a new leap they've turned over, a new outlook on life. The person who thinks Christianity will lead them to become the best possible version of themselves. But what causes a seed not to grow? You see this in, at the end of verse 13, in time of testing, they fall away. There are rocks just under the surface. Their roots can't settle. So when they're tested, the roots haven't grabbed hold and they just fall over and die. Opposition to the faith from loved ones or in social circles or demands of Jesus in following him, they seem simply too much, a bridge too far. And this person says, nah, it's, I guess it's not for me. This is the person who finds Jesus to be quite useful to help them, but refuses to find him valuable to cling to when it costs something. This could be the person who finds Jesus to be useful as Savior, but they refuse to submit to him as Lord who rules over and reserves the right to direct their steps. The third type of soil is among thorns. Verse 14, and for what fell, as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This is a person who finds Christianity to be cred credible, finds it to be of help to them, but they find it not to be of great significance in regards to the greatest desires of their life, namely riches and pleasures. And the cares of this life, these are what of, are what of, are, 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 uh, I'm tongue-tied. These are what is of superior importance. I want you to see something at the end of verse 14. It says, their fruit does not mature. It's like they, 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 they receive the seed, but they don't grow. The many demands of life, do they keep you at arm's distance from maturing in the faith? Do you keep brothers and sisters in the faith? Or the church, do you keep it at arm's distance? 
Because the things that demand your passion, the things that demand your vigor, the things that demand your time are the riches, the pleasures, the cares of this life. Do you find Jesus, your attitude towards Him is one where He is welcome to work in some rooms of, your home, of the home of your life, but other rooms you have placed a sign up on it that says, do not disturb. Do you find the hope of heaven to be appealing? But if you're honest, you're actually seeking heaven on earth where Christ has no foothold in this heaven you're seeking. This is evident in our priorities and our goals, what we truly give our energy and our effort to. The cares of this world, the riches and pleasures of life offer you the sweet wine of, good, of a good life. But they are, in fact, a poison to your soul that causes any desire for Jesus to be expelled. So these are three soils that give us concern. If you had the lawn expert out to survey your yard and what needs to happen for grass to grow, and he saw these three kinds of soils, he'd say, well, it's not going to grow here. He'd say, well, how is my heart ready to receive the seed of God's word? Well, the final type of soil is good soil. As for those that are in good soil, verse 15, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Christian, this is the exhortation for us. Oh, that we would be good soil, that we would receive God's word. How? Humbly. God's word, does, that we would not receive it as if it's going to bounce off of our obstinance like seed that is thrown off of concrete. No, we must welcome the nourishing grace of God in His Word washing over us, having the authority and the ability to transform our hearts. This is hearing Jesus' commands to follow Him. This is hearing the conditions that He places on following Him and welcoming Him to take root in our hearts and transform our words, transform our attitudes, transform our worldviews, transform everything about us. This is welcoming the word of Jesus to fall upon the soil of our hearts. And as it flows into those crevices that we would previously hold off limits, it is welcoming that living water to flow in there. With us saying, when it gets into those crevices, I don't need the living water to change. I need me to change. What is the condition of your heart? Dear Christian, how might your heart be conditioned to, to, to try to turn into these other kinds of soils? That might be something you wrestle through as you reflect upon the text later today and this week. As I was preparing this sermon, as I was writing it, preparing it, studying throughout the week, I found various points in my life where I, have, where, 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 where I am prone to be any of these other three soils. And so maybe a fitting response is, Lord, keep my heart to be good soil. Let it not dry up. Let it not harden so that it rejects the seed of your word. Jesus is here for those who will listen carefully. He is saying, I'm here for those who will devotedly seek me. 
And thirdly and finally, we see that we must steadfastly obey Jesus in verses 16 to 21. So you might find yourself at this point, dear Christian, thinking something like, okay, I I think I'm the good soil. I think I listen to Jesus pretty well, but now what do I do about that? Well, look at the illustration that he gives in verses 16 to 18. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one uh, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Admittedly, as I studied and prepared, this was the hardest illustration of all of these for me to understand. But the key for me in understanding this is actually in verse 18. And Jesus gives little words of explanation throughout these various illustrations in this passage. Uh, uh, You know, he said, let him who has ears hear. And then here in verse 18, he says what? Take care then how you hear. What Jesus is saying in verse 18 is that the sureness of your faith will be evident in whether you bury this news about me, Jesus, the gospel, whether you keep it to yourself as if you have received or lit a lamp, but you're hiding it under a cover, or do you let your light shine, recognizing the wonder of who I am, the authority and the glory that I have over you. And the plan and purposes that I have for you as you, try, as you begin to follow me. He's saying, if you have heard me rightly, remember this is the key throughout this. If, if you're listening well, if you hear well, if you're understanding me rightly, then you will not take this message and bury it. But you will water this seed and it will grow in you and transform. You will not hide the light under the blanket, but it will shine. This perhaps means you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you need to start to begin to think through what, it, what, what steps do I take in obedience to Him? Not do I have intellectual acceptance of Him, but now how do I begin to see this light start to shine throughout my life? This doesn't mean that you go down that you're going to go stand on the street corner at the at the in North Citrate as a train goes by and try to preach the gospel with a microphone and a speaker. I mean, it might mean that if you're up for that, but that, that that's not what we're getting at here. We're getting at beginning to walk in obedience to Jesus. We're getting at beginning to surrender and submit your life under His authority and say, okay, what does this mean for me? where His light has the right to shine in all of these various spheres of my life and trust Him with the work that He would do as He works in those spheres of my life, as He works in my relationships, as He works in my employment or my retirement, as He works in all that I navigate, as I ask Him to grow me. As you think about it, how could this message not be transformational to those who hear it? 
Jesus is able to heal the sick. He's able to raise the dead to life. He speaks words of wisdom that confounds scholars and yet brings immense comfort to the brokenhearted. And this is the wonder of the gospel. Some look upon the cross of Christ and they see the, 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 the crucified Son of God. His blood shed atone for, to pay the penalty for our sins. And they are transformed. While others look upon the cross of Christ and they say, probably significant in some way, shape, or form, but not of great significance to me. You know, the wonder of what Jesus has done is that if we think back to Isaiah chapter 6 and this promise of the judgment of God and the people of Judah in Isaiah's day not being able to hear him, and Jesus even saying that carries through to his day as well, the wonder is that Jesus looks upon our inability to hear him, which I want to be very clear is not inappropriate or unjust on God's part. God is, has not done wrong in this. But what the love of God is revealed in Jesus is in how Christ bridges that great divide between our hard-heartedness against God, our sin, and our great need for new birth. Christ has died and atoned for that sin. And so we consider the wonder of Jesus' words and we recognize they're not simply a competing way of understanding ourselves or understanding our world that we hold up in comparison with other worldviews. No, Jesus stands before us as the invitation through which we can come to know the grace of God. He is the door by which we enjoy and enter into the overflowing blessings of God's grace. He is the door by which we join this chorus of the twelve and these women who had been healed by Him. And we come and we find that we hear and we understand and we have found Him to be good and sweet and true. So in verse 18, when He says, Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. He is saying, if you understand the gospel what I have done for you, it will transform you. It will change your life. But will only do so if you appreciate me and if you keep me. Um, but if, you're, if your heart towards me is only appreciating me and only looking to me for comfort, but not being made new by me, then he's saying, you, then I will be taken away from you. Lastly, the grace of God in us listening to Jesus is evidenced in verses 19 to 21. Jesus' mother and brothers, they come and they're trying to get in past the crowds. And he says in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is quite a response by Jesus, isn't it? Somewhat off-putting. All of a sudden, God hardening people's, closing their hearts, closing their ears, that's not the most strange thing that Jesus has said in this passage. This now becomes the most strange thing he said. You can picture Mary thinking, all that I went through to bring you into this world. You can picture her walking through the crowd in a way that only a determined mother could and grabbing him by the ear and saying, hey bud, I know you're pretty special, but I brought you into this world and I can take you out. But in all seriousness, this is spectacular. What Jesus is saying is he is aligning his allegiance, his relationships, his commitment, his identity with those who hear the word of God and do it. Do you catch that? My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
See how he aligns both identity, his family, with responsibility. Hear the word of God and do it. And this is what he did in the gospel. As he fulfilled his responsibilities in his life and death and resurrection. He invites us to enjoy the blessings of being his family. steadfastly obey Jesus, you won't earn merit badges or plaques for exemplary behavior. You won't hold up plaques to put on the wall in a hallway in your home. Christian of the month this month. October 1988, that was a good month. I was Christian of the month down at, down at the church. No. He says you will be revealed to be my family. In a world that is only growing louder, the words of, Jer of, of Jesus serenade us with sweet reminders of God's goodness and grace. In a world that is only growing more confused and angrier, the words of Jesus provide a gracious map that leads you safely home. In a world that is growing more demanding, Jesus offers you the grace of his words washing over you. And nourishing you with his living water. Hear Jesus well. And you will find his words sufficient to sustain you.